Ah, oh, Ricky, you're, you're my friend. Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. The shenanigans are already starting because my microphone works again. My name is Steph, and joining me are Ricky, Gareth, and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, yeah. Yes, uh, as I said, I am now back in front of a proper microphone. Thus, depending on who you are, uh, you will rejoice in being able to hear every single word I say with crystal clarity. Or if you're Milo, you'll think, Christ, there's going to be more that I have to edit and put on the floor. And let's be clear, this week there's going to be plenty to talk about as we look back on our trip up to St. James's Park earlier today, where we played the new Manchester City, Newcastle, and won three goals to two. It all leads with effortless congruence into a discussion about football club ownership, namely how it happens, what mechanisms are supposedly in place to reportedly keep clubs from having human rights violating owners, and what are the current rules, how are these rules implemented, what levels of hypocrisy exist regarding the whole matter. Well, it is an infinite topic, but we will be keeping it fairly focused to our uh, opposition earlier today, Newcastle, and how their Saudi takeover looks. Is there a moral line, we will be asking? And if so, how is such a line determined? Yes, weighty matters to dive into later on. And before we start, we do just want to wish a full and speedy recovery to the Newcastle fan who's taken ill during the first half. And I uh, would like to commend the players on both sides for their speedy action. Uh, the trainers too. Uh, special mention to uh, Reggie and to Eric Dyer for making sure that a defibrillator was got over into the stand very quickly. And uh, hopefully... That supporter is, uh, you know, sitting up and doing okay. Let's hope so anyway. Okay, shall we kick off the pod with our obligatory intro question, chaps? Is it time? If we must. We must. And the bone-shakingly complex uh, question today is, what did you have for breakfast, Gareth? Uh, Evening. A very boring breakfast for me, as it is most days. We're trying to keep the kids off the sugar as much as we can. Uh, So (laughs) it was some whole grain shapes and some shredders. Um, I I had a sneaky, fun-sized Snickers bar when no one was looking. You had a chocolate bar for breakfast? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't touch alcohol, but chocolate I have a real weakness for. It was only a fun-sized one. Well, thank God you don't touch alcohol. Otherwise, you'd have been telling us you had alcohol for breakfast by the sounds of things. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, wow. Well, there we go. Snickers for breakfast. Top that, Milo. I had a full English. What is that? Oh. Come on, break it down. I had uh, well, toast, fried egg, chipolatas, bacon, so and, and uh, uh, grilled tomato. One or two eggs? Uh, just the one. So my my mum was visiting me this weekend, and my stepdad. Uh, my mum's very strict on what he's allowed to eat. So when he when they come to stay with me, I give him the things that he's not allowed at home. So I took him out on Friday night for a, for a quiet pint, and um, and then I give him a fry up on a Sunday. If I didn't do that, he wouldn't. They wouldn't come and visit me anymore. So yeah, that's... Cook, cook by you or the good lady? No, me, 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 me. Oh, okay. Excellent. Good work. Excellent. So a uh, full English by way of food bribery there, Ricky. Uh, but <laughs> what about your good self? Um, I had what I would call my standard breakfast, which was cooked. So it was scrambled eggs, obviously, <laughs> and two rashers of smoked bacon. <laughs> Um, streaky bacon and a piece of uh, sourdough on top of a piece of sourdough and a nice cup of dill martini, which is my favourite nice. tea. Very good, yeah. very good. Yeah, I had uh, sprouted brown bread toasted with scrambled eggs. I did not have salmon because I got into my first proper workout for two weeks. It's the two weeks I've been away. It was a pretty standard breakfast for me. Launched me on the way uh, to a good Sunday. And after having uh, shared our breakfasts with you, let's get into the week that was. And in fairness, it was a week which saw Brian Hill officially 
in the final 20 nominees for the 2021 Golden Boy Award. Uh, This award includes the likes of Bellingham, Greenwood, Pedri, Rainer and Saka. So well done to Brian and let's hope he brings a trophy home for Tottenham Hotspur. Golden Boy Award. It does sound like something that you get at Crufts, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I thought it sounds a bit more um, a bit more boxing, isn't it? Oscar De La Hoya, isn't he? Got, okay. Is he, is he the Golden Boy Promotions? Okay, okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a real award, really, does it? Let's be honest. I mean, it is. No. I've never heard of it. No. I've never heard of it before. So no, but it's the second time it's been mentioned on this pod. So yeah, this is when we got the long list as well. Yeah, we do <laughs> got a clue where we dug it up from. Well, we do. We, we are the pod that will elevate any trophy to, uh, to to enormous standards, as we have, as we are doing with the Europa Conference League. And I'd like you, you Afer, to note that we have rebranded it as the Proletariat Champions League, and we should be recognised as such. So let us do the same for the 2021 Golden Boy Award, one of enormous prestige which we hope brian goes on to take home for the mighty tottenham hotspur it wouldn't have been an international week without some sort of covid stuff going on on friday we found out that two players had apparently tested positive for covid no one would name who they were but they did say a second and third pcr tests were going to take place on saturday uh, to tell us who would feature against newcastle and who wouldn't we fielded an unchanged side this afternoon unchanged from our uh, 2-1 victory against aston villa so it seems likely that the tests were negative so who knows what where and how I think the fact to drag out from all of this is there was a leaked letter from the Premier League to clubs last month. And, and, and Milo, do you want to just like explain what that leaked letter said? Yeah, so it was a letter to the clubs trying to encourage them to get their players to be vaccinated. And in that, it said that only seven Premier League clubs um, have players with let's say more than 50% fully vaccinated, which is quite shocking. Comparing it to some other, other leagues, and so 98% of the players in Syria are uh, fully vaxxed. Um, 94% of the players and staff in the Bundesliga uh, are vaccinated. And then in America, um, the NBA, 95%, and NFL is 94%. So Premier League football will seem to be really, really lagging behind. I, I remember reading, I uh, think Klopp gave an interview a little while ago, and I think he said that Liverpool players were 100% vaccinated. It was certainly very, very high. So it certainly seems to be um, varying club to club. We know that our South American players are fully vaccinated because they've been going to red list countries and coming back and being able to rejoin the bubble. But we don't know. There's no transparency around vaccination rates within the Premier League other than that leaked letter. So um, it's disappointing. And I think... I I think the Premier League ought to be taking a stricter line. I know in American sports, there's been some quite strict lines there around participation if you're not vaccinated. And I think really you you ought to be looking at something similar, I think probably for competing overseas at the very least. Any other thoughts, guys? Or Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. It'd be interesting to know where that um, that reluctance to to get mm. vaccinated actually comes from, because as you've just said there, this, this isn't international sportsmen the world around all um, all singing the same tune, is it? It seems to be fairly unique to this country. Yeah, it makes you wonder whether the kind of the closed world they live in, whether you know it's internet stuff, and also within mm. a group there might be some groupthink going on with them. Um, yeah, you know where they discuss things. So I think that's I think that's probably quite likely, isn't it? And thinking that they're healthy young men, so so that you know if they caught it, they'd be you know they'd survive it. Um, those yeah. are kind of um, arguments you see quite a lot from anti-vaxxers, and um, it's bollocks. Mm. Yep, yeah, yep. So let's hope that the Premier League can find a way to uh, implement what seems to all of us to be a very sensible strategy, uh, and that we can circumvent this sort of rubbish and uh, make sure that we have uh, vaccinated uh, young athletes uh, applying their trade. Let's leave the week that was 
and go to the weekend match that has just been. That is our 3-2 victory at Newcastle earlier today. In fairness, probably uh, more of a 4-1, as uh, Milo and I were saying uh, just before we came on record. That's how it felt anyway. But, you know, a hell of a lot of positives from today. Uh, You know, it's the first time we've scored three goals in uh, a league game this season. Back-to-back wins. Harry looking like he's playing well again. An unchanged lineup is probably the key to everything. And uh, it seems like an academic question, but uh, so obviously it was the right decision from Nuno. But can I ask you all, do we think that he has finally found his first starting eleven? Ricky, let's start with you. I'm not sure, really. I think he's going to obviously stick with it as much as he can. And I mean, I think we said before the international break that it was probably unlikely that he was going to be able to. So that was a plus. But it was quite similar to the Villa game. I think everyone in the Villa game had more of a kind of standard of a game, you know, 7 out of 10 or more. And I think there was a bit more up and down performances from some players, but no one, no one really done much wrong. And... Uh, the opposition was obviously, I think, a lot worse than Villa as well. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's another three goals. Probably, you know, they were lucky to get two, and it's another positive note for us to um, build on. Let's cruise on to the Hammers. Yeah, from yeah, from 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 my perspective, very comfortable victory. I, I think the caveat I've got to throw in there, though, and I think there are so many positives today, which I'm sure we'll cover. But the caveat is that we were playing the team who was second from bottom and haven't won a Premier League game this season. And regardless of all the fanfare and the circus that was going on in the background, Newcastle are a dreadful football team. They've probably got two players that would get into any teams in the top half of the of the Premier League table. And they were made to look like a very, very poor team today. But that said, it still need it still required us to do that. Um, and we played with a fluency and a confidence as we got into the game that suggested that there is a game plan here and that we may well have come across a a, a system, a formation and a, and a group of personnel that actually works quite well for us and will mm. lead us on to better things as the season goes on. I was going to say on that, um, kind of the strength of the opposition, I didn't see many people making allowances for Liverpool's opposition yesterday when um, when they were getting applauded. So, you know, you can only play what's in front of you. I thought... Um, um, a couple of players today. I think Kane and and Dembele, um had their strongest games of the season. I thought Ndombele was very good. I thought overall it was a strong performance. I think you're right in terms of the side settling down a bit and you know how we're playing um, was improved. Um, this is the third game on the trot where we've upped our pressing. So since the uh, Mora home game, we've been upping our pressing. I was looking at um, the stats for passes per defensive action. So a number of passes you allow a team to have in the opposition half before you uh, you engage defensively. So if we go through the season so far, Liverpool, uh, sorry, Man City, it was 17.29. Wolves, it was 13.76. Watford, it was 11.52. Palace, 12.76. Chelsea, 14.9. Arsenal, 12.5. Villa, 7.85. Newcastle, 9.15. So we've seen a massive, massive dropping there in terms of the amount of ball we're letting the opposition have in, in their half. So I think early on we were seeing... Yeah, similar to we were seeing last season with Mourinho, where we were quite happy to let the opposition have the ball where they weren't necessarily threatening us, but we would engage once they got into our midfield. And these last couple of games, we've seen us pressing a lot higher up the pitch and closing them down. And I think with a team where we, with Hoybier and Skip in central midfield, who don't have a lot of creativity between them, the chances created from turnovers high up the pitch is probably one of our best chances of getting goals. I mean, this does coincide with Nuno recognising that 4-3-3 isn't quite our bag, doesn't it? And actually, quite sadly, it does also coincide with something that all of you were saying that I was reluctant to take on board. That is, Delhi is not really a part of a starting eleven for us at this point uh, 
of the club's season or history or whatever you want to say. I mean, it's it's undeniable at this point. I mean, the stats you've just pulled out, you know, are directly related to the change in shape. Yeah, definitely the change in shape. I mean, I think, I think Delhi could play at number 10, but hmm. I'm not sure he's going to put in a better performance than Nabele did today. Or or La, or La Celso. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. It could be beyond La Celso. But I think we should talk about that today because that is a very key thing. And I was thinking this during the game. I was comparing Tongi and, you know, look, Delhi's got in position several times this season where he he could have scored and he didn't. You know, Tongi scored a lovely goal today just by just with one shift of the body. You have to say he probably, if he'd been a little more selfish today, could have had another couple. I mean, he put himself mm. in a position where you know he can. He's got the skill. It's very very hard to see him not getting that slot ahead of either Delhi or uh, or Gio at this point, especially based on today's performance. Would we agree or not? Well, I th- yeah. think the fact he managed 90 minutes as well yes. is really, really positive. That you know We've seen him have really good 60 minutes and then have to be substituted or really uh, not, really fade pretty quickly for the last periods of games. But the fact he was still going in the 90th minute, I think for me, was the most encouraging thing on top of all the brilliant things that he did on the ball that we know Tungi and Dombele offers that really is a very, very unique skill set. His mindset today was really good. He had a real positivity about him and he was looking to get involved. And I'm not saying... And, and don't read that as saying that he's negative other times. Sometimes he's just a bit neutral and, he, he, you know, he's not always as engaged in the game. But his engagement today was f- first class. And um, and maybe that's, I mean, maybe he realises, I mean, if I'm going to play number 10, I've got the Celso behind me. I mean, the Celso's doing great stuff on the international stage and that. So, um, you know, that could be it. You know, I'm fighting for my place. And of course, where that leaves Delhi is maybe even behind them too. So that's, you know, it's, mm. it's difficult for Delhi, really. Is. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just telling that, you know, the two players you know, I was picking out there as having good games today didn't have a pre-season, didn't play any pre-season games. And it's just taken them maybe a little bit longer to get in their um, in their stride. And obviously both of them wanted to leave in the summer and weren't able to do so. I, longer term, I, I still hope that Ndombele drops back into central midfield, into one of those two positions there, and, and Gio comes in at number 10. I think Skip and Hoybier are the right choice at the moment because we're still a bit of a fragile side. I think if we want to... I think Ndombele is better with more of the pitch in front of him. He's, he's got a good um, good range of passing. He's got good vision. He's great at, uh, at creating things. I think he's better there than he is at number 10. And I think if we want to be playing the ball through and, and moving it a bit quicker, quicker and being a bit more uh, incisive in uh, progressing the ball from defence to, to attack, then we need a better passer than Hoybier or Skip there. So um, eventually I'd like to see him drop back, but I think uh, Skip and Hoybier are the right choice for the moment. It's a tantalising um, thought, and I think we've all had it, and I think we've all felt the same about Tongi, but I do worry that he could sometimes get caught carrying the ball out of defence, out of those deep mm-hmm. positions, rather than passing it. And I mean, that would be the, that would be the biggest problem. But it's a great problem to have I think that's a risk that you have to accept yeah you know I mean we've seen Hoybier get caught in possession this is not um unique to um unique to Ndebele but I think I think it's one of those things where you have to look at it and say the upside is best you know is worth the downside yeah I'm talking more about the speed at which we would get the ball for but I mean regardless I think it's I think it is a very it's a very good alternate perspective on Tongi and what he's showing me is and what he's shown me today and I think all of us is that you know suddenly we've got a player that you know He's a sh- you know virtual shoe in to be able to play two positions. He's va- you know his value to the squad and the side is increasing by the week. His confidence seems to be surging. As you pointed out, Gareth, he's you know he's playing ninety minutes now, and he's not you know he's not puffing at the end. He's still doing it. Everyone played ninety minutes today. Great, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Romero and and Royale were playing 
a World Cup qualifier on the other side of the world a little more than 60 hours before kickoff of this game. Yes. Yeah. Did 90 minutes, which is unbelievable. I agree. We, compl- we complain about when we've got a Thursday mid, you know, European gate midweek and then the kind of the turnaround to the weekend. This was that later in at night on the other side of the world. Yeah. I was, I was thinking that I was surprised that he didn't make any subs, but then in the end, I was trying to justify it by thinking that maybe he can give a whole swathe of them like a day off from Thursday. And, um, you know, because obviously I suppose we haven't, fa- oh no, we haven't found out yet about, um, travel arrangements to, the Netherlands, I suppose, where all of them can go. So maybe, maybe there's some of that at play because Romero might not be able to go or, um, what's his name? Um, Emerson. Very possible, actually. It's a good point. Let's, let's actually also acknowledge the, the Newcastle's first goal, which of course, you know, the swell of enthusiasm in the stadium was huge. <laughs> the goals come in, you know, Romero's definitely, uh, possibly, uh, you know, a time zone behind as Callum Wilson comes in and nods that home. And I think, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm firmly prepared to uh, put that down to a combination of Wilson being a decent forward. I mean, he's a decent forward, but, you know, Romero's definitely caught on his heels a little bit there and possibly still that's that's one of the ramifications of playing when you are playing in you know the other side of the world 60 hours before would we agree are we prepared to give him that out yeah i think i know i would i mean those perfectly timed runs that cut in front of you are quite hard to defend sometimes because he did have a little look and then turned away and then wilson made his run the only thing i would say against him was is um dyer was sort of blocking the channel for the mm. pass that would go the other side of him so if you know that that it's going to be blocked then if if you think the person's going to come that way you maybe just have your arm out a bit stuff like that so you don't make it a free run kind of thing and then if the person plays the other ball that goes through let's say dies legs and across then that's just bad luck so he could have done better but I still think Wilson made a good run. Gareth at that point did you think one nil down two minutes in and we got that shot of the director's box which looked like an outtake from Game of Thrones um you know do we do, do we yeah name your characters as you wish I will say no more than that um did, Gareth did you think oh no here we go again or were you thinking well we just have to weather this they are an awful football side and I trust that we will find our way through what were you thinking I think at the, at the time I was, I was incredibly frustrated and angry um, on our coverage over here in the UK just before the you know before the players the players were walking out they spoke to Jamie Redknapp who was one of the one of the um, panelists and they said you know from a Spurs perspective what do they need to do and he said just keep the crowd quiet <laughs> for 20 minutes so what did we do we were, we were, we were passive we stood off um, we were everything that we'd been terrible at doing in September for the opening two and a half minutes of the game. Um, so I, I was really seething when we conceded that goal because that was very much to- Dr. Tottenham has arrived on in on Tyneside. And <laughs> Which you did say. Fortunately, the- that, yeah. I, I did say that in the WhatsApp group. Yeah, look, I mean, in, in hindsight, now we, we it took us what, 10 minutes to warm up and once we did, we, we, you know, we were exceptional against a poor team. It was glorious how we popped the old um, Geordie... We've got our club back party within five minutes. It was just like the Gallagate were then just sitting on their bums after that. It was so glorious how that happened. Because I agree with Gareth. At first, I thought, oh, my God, they're riding the wave here. But, um, you know, you've got Anton Deck going, and, you know. That That's kind of right. They just... wheeled out Anton Deck. I mean, it was actually becoming, it was extraordinary, the amount of guff that we were being presented. I mean, you know, when I saw Anton Deck, I just thought, well, this 
is going to be our day. If this is the best that they can wheel out at that moment, then it's going to be okay. But they eased off on the old director director box cam after that, didn't they? Once it started going downhill, yeah, it did indeed. Milo, I wanted to ask you if you would just to give us a little overview of uh, Royale Royale's performance today, and also just generally. I know that you're a fan. I mean, we all are, but I know you've been a particularly vocal fan. Talk about his performance today. I, I thought, like most of the side, he had a you know, kind of wobbly five first five ten minutes. I thought he he grew into the game well. I thought he was getting some really rough treatment from the Newcastle players and getting zero um, protection from the ref. And uh, you know, I've seen some comments online where people are kind of criticizing criticizing him for for going down or what have you. I think Steph, you were saying that some of the the US commentary was um, picking up on that as well. Yeah. It was distasteful to me. Stephen Warnock was insinuating a few things that I thought were less than uh, less than uh, wonderful. Just the same old rubbish about like you know they go down easily. It wasn't. He didn't. He never quite said it, but he hinted at it. You know, not into that. I think he's a decent player. You know, we've got to bear in mind that he's young. And was this his third or fourth start in the Premier League? Yeah, fourth. You know, you normally talk about players needing kind of half a season or so before you can really judge them. I think I think on what we've seen so far, I think he looks like a, really, a decent signing. Would we agree? I mean, between both him and Romero, I mean, we're looking at two young, aggressive and brave defenders. I feel they've bought an extra step uh, step on in everything they're doing, like, you know, a step in, whichever way you want to put it. You know, they're not afraid to get to try and get to that ball first. They don't stand off too much. They're very aggressive. And it seems that they rarely get beaten uh yeah, they, they. I mean, I, I, I find their, I find their energy really, really encouraging, and I think it's really helped us mm. look a lot more solid. Would, would we agree with that? Yeah, I would. I think you can throw Reggie in there as well. Yes. It's, it's both. It's a lot of energy there. I mean, I know they're young, so that you expect that with them. They're going to be like keen and positive players. But um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a refresh of the defense. It's a victory for Paratici, yeah. really, because he's addressed. Uh, you know, but with those two signings, he's addressed uh, one of our major concerns, right? Yeah, yeah, they're definite upgrades on on what we've had before, and um, and particularly the right back position, which I think has been a been a problem mm. position for us for a couple of years. Uh, Romero seems a really smart piece of, of business because I don't think we would have said that Toby Alderweireld was the was the biggest problem in the team last year and the biggest need of replacement. Um, but Romero is definitely an upgrade, and you look at the age differential between mm. them as well. And hopefully, we've got a really really good and comfortable central defender, and as long as we can find a good partner to continue play alongside him which I think Eric Dyer was today then um, then hopefully he'll settle in very quickly and be a mainstay in the team for years to come I think next summer you're going to want um, an understudy aren't you to Royale someone who kind of sits, uh, suits the overall the style of play better and I think we ought to be looking at um, a ball playing partner for for Romero longer term just one to throw in quickly on the defence before we move further up the pitch do we think that Rodon is uh, being groomed to sort of slide in for Eric Dyer alongside Romero uh, either as an understudy or as a potential full-time partner down the line or do we think Rodon is forever destined to be a, a backup centre-back at the club I mean he's you know Seems very competent to me. I just can't quite figure out what it's going to take for him to get a chance. He, he wasn't even on the bench today, was he? And both Sanchez and oh, and Tanganga is slightly more versatile, so he can play fullback as well. But the fact that Sanchez has come straight back in and gone ahead of him, he just feels like he's he's always the he's always the plan B at the moment. And there'll be a point in his career where he has to make the decision: Am I happy to do this and bide my time, or do I need to go somewhere else and play football? I think a lot of us fans do are impressed with what we see, not like over the top or anything, but it really does seem. That the kind of succession of managers as as Gareth says seems to have him you know a bit down the picking order really and 
he seems decent for Wales as well. So you can't, you know, yeah. from what I've, from what I've seen of him, I mean, I don't see him in training every day, so I'm not going to like, you know, go over the top with support of him. But he does just seems a bit as though he's either not getting the breaks or he's not giving the kind of faith or something like that. Mm. I'm not sure. I, mean, I think he's a decent player, but if you look at our interest in the summer in um, uh, Kunde and um, and Torres, we're clearly looking for a, a partner for Romero and a player of a certain type. Um, so that suggests that they don't think that that player is in the squad currently. I like him. I think he's a decent player, but you know, maybe he's just going to be a decent player somewhere else and it's not quite the right, the right plan for us long term. Yeah. And you know, if that's the case, you know, if Dyer stays around, maybe Dyer becomes, um, you know, he can play, uh, you know, right or left in, in a centre back, you know, maybe he becomes a, you know, useful squad player who can play within that and fill in where required. And if we, and if we switch to a three, I suppose, ever, because yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. You know? Yeah. I mean, before we move again, as I did say further up the pitch, I just want to have my, uh, sort of my bi weekly Eric Dyer. Uh, loving and just say first of all anyone getting on his back for that own goal can do one if he doesn't defend that ball he's going to get criticized because it could end up on uh you know the, on the last player it could end up with uh, royale having to defend a one-on-one and he doesn't make it and a chance comes you know he's got to try and defend it it was unfortunate the way it happened once again i think he largely put in a flawless performance other than that goal and uh again when the moment was there to be to be had he led by example uh when the tragedy you know the tragedy in the stand happened he was right over there mm. telling them to go over the defibrillator uh, uh once again i i i i love eric dyer sorry it's un, it's an unashamed love affair did you see nuno take him aside after the game i mean obviously the um yeah. the own goal happened very late and nuno was talking to him and he's clearly saying you know not your fault not your fault Great. head up yeah it looked quite positive I just, and yeah i mean he, he was going to head the ball he misjudged the flight of it or maybe it you know dipped a bit and it came off his knee it happens it's uh you know it shouldn't take away from what was overall a really good performance right. yeah realistically both newcastle goals we gifted them yeah. you know romero lost his man for the first and and dyer had a you know a freak ball bounce off his knee for the second yeah. you know yeah, I mean, and I, once again, I just feel that, you know, we've talked about this young defence and how they're coming together and how they're becoming more and more solid. And, you know, that really doesn't happen without the bravery and experience of someone like Eric Dyer in there, like all the way. And Hugo, of of course, as well. We mustn't leave Hugo out. I'll take um, conceding goals off mistakes rather than systemat- systematic failures any yes. day of the week. You know, it, well said. You don't get mistakes every time. It, you know, that those are freaks. It happens. You know, it often feels like it happens more to us than others. I think fans of other clubs will probably tell you different but there's not a systematic failure at the center of that defense at the moment they're playing well they're playing well as a unit they've got good cover in front of them we'll have better we'll have days when the luck goes our way I agree I mean yeah. I, I mean I also have to say having watched that goal several times I find it found it astounding that a premiership football club could have a set piece delivered like that and have not one forward anywhere near the ball. It was absolutely comical. I mean, it was it was actually embarrassing. I'd be embarrassed as a Newcastle fan to watch that back. It was ridiculous. But that being said, we did have a forward who has found his feet again, it felt, um, in Harry. Let's, you know, spend a, f- a couple of minutes talking about that. I know, Milo, you have some... Uh, pretty uh trenchant thoughts on 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 harry in general and and that this sort of supports a model of thought you've had for some time on him so so do do share you know we've debated a few times about whether you know it's poor form or he's in a funk and i i would say that you know his poor form has been for england as well as spurs um which suggests that it's not just when he pulls on our shirt that he's you know he's pissed off and thinks oh, i'll just i'll just you know, go through the motions again you know if you look at his all-round contribution 
you know, defensively, he's still been fighting for things and putting in defensive headers. And, you know, it just, I just don't think it's been clicking for him. You know, he's always been a, a slow starter to the season. He didn't have any uh, preseason, didn't play any games preseason this year. And then if you look at the games he's played over, you know, over the last couple of years, last season was a compressed season. He was at the Euros in a team that went to the final. And then, you know, the season before that, it was disjointed and he had a major injury. So I think, he, you know, if you look over the last two or three years, it, it, it's uh, really taken its toll on him. And he's a player who's traditionally a slow starter. Um, I thought he had a very good game against Villa and I thought he was he was really good today. Um, so I'm hoping that he's hitting form. If Kane is hitting form, and yeah, Son looks like he's in form as well. Again, excellent against Villa. You know, took his go. Maybe not quite so impressive today, but you know, took his um, still strong, good performance. Yeah, that's right. Took his goal well. If Kane and Son are on form, we're a match for anyone in the league. I was just going to throw in uh, for for Ricky or Gareth. Do you, guys, do you think that the again we're going back to this change of formation to one that perhaps Harry's a little more comfortable with? Uh, do we think that's had an impact on his uh, you know his increasingly improved performances? Uh, culminating with today's yeah um, very much so I mean I totally agree with everything that Milo's just said the last two games so against Arsenal and against Villa what was encouraging was that he was missing chances rather than mm. not getting chances yeah, yeah. Yeah. at all and I think we, we've we've watched him long enough to know that once he's his his ratio of chances to goals is incredible and you know that for every chance he's going to miss there's going to be lots of goals coming up and hopefully that today was the first of them um, the other noticeable thing just to, to expand this out but I think it very much relates to, to to Harry as well that within the last 12 months Lucas Mora has really started to combine much better with Kane and Son so whereas before Lucas would be on the pitch and really he did his own he did his own thing and he had moments of of utter brilliance um but really it was a, he was very very isolated in what he did and when he achieved those but now um him Kane and Son and certainly and Dombele today as a four seem to be reading each other and the fact that all four of them combined for Son's goal today and ultimately that was Kane's assist that um that created it in the end it's it's a positive thing for us and it's definitely something for us to build on and it's something that ultimately will result in Harry Kane scoring more goals yeah I think I I think Harry's always gonna he's always gonna come back to a certain standard because I think over the seasons it's um it's something you could discuss and then you'd realize it's just a fool's game thinking that you know he's not gonna he's either done this or this is gonna happen or he's turned into this because he just he is Mr. Consistency and as we've said there his finishing is still probably his best attribute he won't really miss his chance conversion it's unbelievable he, he just mm. I mean that's just through sheer practice and I think what hap- what's happened is especially in the last few games he's probably felt himself as well that chances are going to be coming his way so that just makes you feel a lot more inclusive and that kind of thing rather than just ploughing a lone farrow up front and maybe people are trying to knock long balls to you and stuff like that but I think um, and I think moving from the 4-3-3 is definitely going to help him with that because he's used to a 4-3 he's got a lot of experience in the 4-2-3-1 and familiarity with the players that play within that system so um, yeah I think Nuno is probably, I mean, it's just, as we said before, he wasn't, we've never thought he'd play 4 2 3 1, but maybe that's pragmatic Nuno for you. He's thought, well, you know. Well, I mean, just to round off for a sumptuous finish, what a lovely finish from Harry. No, I was going to say it was reminiscent, was it, was it the Arsenal game where he had a flick like that that just went past the post? I can't remember if it was Arsenal. Yeah, it was, it was Arsenal, the one against Arsenal, the ball was more in front of him. Yeah, I think was, he would have been offside yeah. anyway in that one. Yeah, that's right. The one that was offside. Yeah. That being said, they all thought it was offside today. Yeah. We knew better. Yeah, we really we be- we um, benefited with the third goal from a legacy of that second goal 
because I think the right back played Harry on and then in that third goal the right back thought well I've got to step forward to play Harry off and then Harry was on and then that left because the right back had left Sun then Sun just had an easy crossfield ball to Are you suggesting that Kane's movement harried the fullback into a mistake? <laughs> Absolutely, Steph. Yes, that's right. Steph, can I just pick up briefly on the, yeah. the change of formation? Yes, sir. Um, I think there is something in that. So Nuno traditionally has tended to prefer strikers that get in behind, pacier forwards that can get in behind uh, behind the defenders, um, which suits you know, a 4-3-3, you know, where you're playing with two number eights, or, you know, where he's played three at the back previously. And, and Harry Kane isn't that player, or at least isn't that player anymore. And I think maybe that switch to a four-two-three-one gives him a few more bodies around him and a bit more support. And also it means, uh, it's one of the things I said early on, where, you know, where he drops back and starts playing that number 10, eight role, it's, it's not a problem as long as you've got players pushing up. And if he drops back, he's still got three players who can push up there and take up that space. And it gives defenders a real question. So, you know, do you track him? Do you follow him? What do you do? Oh, absolutely. You know, if you do that, then you've got Sun, Mora and, uh, and Dembele, you know, up against three three defenders. So I, I, th- I think I think that has helped him. I mean, this reminds me very much of Pochi's first game in charge uh, in that friendly at Seattle when he when Kane played. And he, I think we talked about this before, where he played this unbelievable, like, 50-yard or 40-yard crossfield pass on the spin. But what you could see that Poch wanted early on was in that 4-2-3-1. He wanted those four to constantly be swapping and rotating and revolving. And I, I and it just, I mean, it's exactly what you just said, Milo. And I think that Harry is more comfortable with that. And I think we're starting to see the benefits. And as was said by you, Gareth, Lucas becoming a more productive member of that quartet is equally important. You know, and if, if Tongi can maintain his form as a potential number 10, we've really got a very exciting four and, and, Credit to Nuno and, and for recognizing that. Everyone's saying that this guy's completely inflexible and can only play four through three. Well, quite evidently, he is not. You know, I think the thing with Mora is that the last two managers or permanent managers have been, you know, well suited to his style of play. You know, he's primarily a ball carrier, and you know, Mourinho playing on the break and Nuno also being quite direct uh, suits his play. So, uh, you know, I think uh, you know he becomes a really key player within our, within our team within our system because you know skip and hoybier you know most of the time aren't going to be aren't going to be moving that ball one thing i did notice actually is in the second half i thought Ndombele was dropping deeper and deeper and getting more and more involved in in build-up which i don't think i've seen in the previous games to the same same degree it's something i'm going to keep an eye on over the next few games and see whether he does it more i said i'm not sure of Ndombele whether he's just enjoying himself because they were like absolutely <laughs> rubbish <laughs> There was no pressure. There was no like chasing after anyone. And sometimes he just thinks, I'm really enjoying myself out here. So I'm just going to like cruise around and just get involved as much as I can. Are you saying that he's a bit like Steph hosting, that when he's enjoying himself, oh. he's free, loose, goes all over the yeah, place? Waxing lyrical. Yeah. You know, doesn't stick to what we planned beforehand. And, you know, most of the time it comes off, but occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, guilty, yeah. guilty is charged, and I'll take that as a hundred percent praise. I am all about that. I love it. I love it. And actually, <laughs> before we close off this news conference, I will bring us to a place that is not in the notes because I am enjoying this conversation and how how much fun it is to be able to enjoy a performance and be able to break it down and analyze it with so many positive angles. And and one other angle that I 
don't think we have, well, we don't have them in the notes. I mean, was it just me or did it seem that our play out from the back, particularly with the centre halves, was a little more varied? We weren't just going long all the time. There was actually some passing through the middle, short passes to skip, who would then turn and try and find someone inside versus launching all the time. And it just, you know, we did, I mean, obviously there were some nice balls over the top, but it wasn't always Mm. launched. And, uh, you know, are are we seeing this is going to develop as a feature? Are we going to see... Romero or Dyer carrying the ball forward a bit more and then just playing a short pass inside? Or Well, I think it could be, but I think Newcastle kind of gave us those passing options sometimes. You know, they were like, mm. they were in their lines and then that natural kind of, well, find some space b- between the lines was just there to, for the taking sometimes. I'm not criticizing. No, no. I don't, I don't want to like play down our performance because we can only do what we can do. And they, um, But you're right. And we did mix it up a little bit with some long stuff. So that's good. Yeah. That's good mm. as well. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think you can, you're that caveat that Newcastle's, you know, pressing system was totally non-existent. But we did manage to play lots of really neat triangles involving the fullbacks and central central defenders and Hoiberg or Skip just to play around them and to progress the ball into midfield which was really good to see so it's good to see that there's the intention there because you know because mm. quite simply we could have decided the best route was just to play the ball long and through and straight up to to Kane and into the final third yeah and also I would add that there was a few times where we maybe played the one the first the second and third pass and then maybe didn't quite select the right fourth pass mm. but um it's nice to know that we get into a position to play that fourth pass and maybe we choose the better option next time you know just it's all practice isn't it? I thought there was still plenty of um, playing around the back, passing it out to Hoybier or Skip, back to the back four, around the back four, through. I mean, that is what Nuno wants them to do. What he's trying to do is to draw out the opponent so that there's the space to attack him behind. I thought what was quite promising today is that we were the direct through balls. We were playing through the middle quite a lot. We were playing quite direct through balls through the middle and we were picking up our runners. So I, I thought from that point of view, it was quite good. But I think we're, with Nuno, we're always going to see that um, pass out to the you know, one of the defensive midfielders, drop, you know, pass back, recycle the ball. That's just how he plays. I mean, the final question, which I think we've already addressed, but yeah, let's have a little post-mortem for the, the stripey ones, if we will. Uh, what did we think of Newcastle? How many of this side are we playing for them in a year's time? And by the way, let me just add, John Joe Shelby, once again, thank you so much for justifying <laughs> everything I thought was going to happen as soon as you stepped on the pitch. Uh, I, I have to say, uh, you, you, you sort of felt that if ever there was a red card coming, it was going to be to him that he was not going to be able to control himself. So thank you again, Voldemort. Uh, but chaps, how many of that lot are going to be playing in a year for Moneybags United? Um, I think, well, so maximum is their standout player, but probably is a player they could they could upgrade with the untold riches they're going to have available to them. I like Callum Wilson. Um, again, I suspect that he'll be the sort of player that, that you know the first thing they'll want to do, or one of the first things they'll want to get a number nine, because of the iconic number nine from the Gallagher end. So he might be a casualty of that, but I think fair play to him is okay. Jamal Lachelle's I've always mm. rated as sort of a fairly decent centre-half for the position they're in. But no, they're, 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 they're a poor team. They're, they're a team that have been put together with the intention of finishing 16th or 17th in the league, and they look like it. I think it's going to take Newcastle a little bit longer to um, to really start challenging than some fans were saying or fearing once the takeover went through. They're starting from a far lower base than Chelsea or City were when they got their big buyouts. And... You know, I think it's going to take them three or four years to probably get to the position that they were in at that point and then push on from there. Um, so I think really for Newcastle, the most important signing they can make at the moment is a director of football who can build that strategy of how to get there. 
and you know, bringing the managers and the players to do that. But it's going to be baby steps. And I think that means that probably quite a few of these players will be around for a while yet. Uh, but I think probably that means that by the time they win the treble, John John Joe Shelby, you know, may well have um, hung up his boots, even if he does finish his career at Newcastle. <laughs> I think, um, I suppose it just depends how much churn they can manage with, um, well, I suppose within financial restrictions and that kind of thing. But um, I think I did look and I think City, I can't remember how crap City were when they got to go. I know Chelsea were pretty decent already, but I did look and I think... It was at the end of City's second season after being taken over that we had the Crouch game where we beat them to the Champions Mm -hmm. League. So that took City two years to get to that point. I think it's going to take Newcastle a while. I mean, unless unless players like Haaland have decided that they just want to get paid 500 grand a week and show up in Newcastle. But I don't think any... I think they're going to have a hard time convincing players to join that project for a while yet. I really do. Ultimately, players want to be successful and I, I... I can't see an attraction there for a while. And I think when you start looking at talking about Haaland or Mbappe, you know, Mbappe is being linked with Real Madrid. Uh, Haaland's being heavily linked with, um, you know, Man City. They're not going to get paid peanuts in those places and they're going to win right. things. Whereas, you know, Haaland, if he, if he decided to go to Newcastle, um, although he's really young, he'd be in his kind of, you know, mid to late twenties before he realistically was going to win anything. So yeah. it's, it's just not, it's not going to be attractive. And also yeah. you, you've got to think about the, um, kind the off-field earnings you know if Mbappe's at Real Madrid then the commercial the commercial earnings off that are huge and Newcastle just aren't going to offer that no matter what wages they offer them look if Kylian Mbappe ends up in Newcastle I'll do six shows in a row wearing an Arsenal shirt it's not going to happen well, it's an absolute joke and I mean you know mm. all, all of these mega signings that are being associated with them I think are a joke and mm. I think uh, sadly for yeah. Newcastle I think a lot of those players are going to have to do the hard graft to get them out of it and I'm not entirely convinced that this consortium will not be dealing with a relegated team that they have to rebuild from the back up now whether they have the courage to let that happen and build from the back I don't know uh, I don't think they, they they probably will but this team if they are not tinkered with soon are going down they're not good enough St Maxim is is, is a St Maxim is a, he's an I, I mean just I, a show pony it's not mm. good enough they're not a good enough side and uh and I think we showed that you know we showed comfortably as we said at the top of this show it should have been 4-1 uh, instead it was 3-2 so let's just give some closing thoughts one positive one negative in 30 seconds uh start with you Milo uh, positive was Kane. I thought he had a really, really good game. Uh, negative, two silly mistakes. Um, you know, ruined our goal difference. For me, just to give you a completely left field, literally left field positive, really impressed with Reggie today going forward. There was at least two occasions I can remember where he used a bit of skill in an attacking 1v1 situation. And I think that's something he's, he's been a little bit too conservative in the past. So that's a good... The, yeah, the negative for me is that we should have won that game by three or four goals and we should have racked up the goal difference. Positive for me is um, Sonny's corners. I don't think they get the plaudits they deserve. I think he's cor- many of his corners are definitely give um, the opposition something to think about and clear the first man, which is a good thing. And a negative is Dyer's own goal, not because of Dyer scored it, but just because it took the shine off his performance, really. And, you know, I don't like bad things happening to nice guys. The biggest positive to me is that despite a turbulent season, a manager has had to deal with untold amounts of grief, uh, whether it be international travel, uh, you know, COVID threats, or all sorts of stuff, you know, dealing with the, the foul odour left over by his predecessor we are uh as i as i understand it we are joint fourth tonight mm-hmm. uh which uh 
I believe means that we are tied for the final Champions League position, which uh, I had said early doors I felt would be open, regardless of Ronaldo going to Man United, as long as Man United don't twig onto the fact that Conte might be a better manager for them than, than Solskjaer. I think that fourth spot will remain. And uh, I think it's an enormous positive that we've come through a time of immense turbulence and our joint fourth with all the lowest tallies and, you know, 20th in the league at this stat, 20th in that, or bollocks to stats. We're joint fourth and we're playing <laughs> okay and we're finding form and we've found shape that works. Uh, possibly the only negative I can find is that people are going to say, well, it was Poocastle and they were rubbish. Uh, Yes, as is, but this is a banana skin game for us and has been for many seasons. Uh, the potential for that. Oh, we we have had our up and down moments at Newcastle. Let's yeah, be fair. We've won the last few years, haven't we? So, well, yeah. but we've also equally gone there and got done. They've done us at home several times. Newcastle has, a, has always been a dodgy game for us. It's never been a gimme. Um, and, you know, there was still a job to be done. And we did it under, you know, some very, very turbulent conditions today and despite the worst possible start. So well done, us. Right. Good stuff on the pitch. Some pretty strange stuff happening off it. And uh, the recent takeover of Newcastle United by a consortium, including the Saudi Arabian state, has raised interesting questions about morality in football and how football fans are prepared to turn a blind eye if their team benefits. Uh, just to be clear, this this discussion is not going to be general. We don't have the time to get into general uh, matters here. You know, I think hypocrisy is uh, sadly an ingredient of modern life and also football. And, you know, Saudi Arabian money has found its way into the game through various channels over the years and I'm sure that there are many other clubs who are involved some way in you know with some dubious cash coming from somewhere uh, I, I have a personal theory that it is virtually impossible to be a billionaire ethically uh, there is always a has to be a question of ethics when enormous amounts of money are made so that being said we're going to focus a little bit on what this specific takeover is all about I think it's no secret Saudi Arabia has an appalling human rights record. Um, homosexuality is still forbidden and punishable by flogging and imprisonment. Women and girls continue to face discrimination in law and practice. There was also the murder of a journalist, which has been much spoken of. Uh, it all leads to the fact that a consortium has taken over at Newcastle that is led by the Saudi Arabian government. I would like to throw this question, first of all, uh, to you, Milo, uh, to just talk a little bit about the fit and proper owners test and, the, you know, what it actually means. And in this particular context, how the Premier League uh, either did or did not apply it. You know, is it worth having if it doesn't cover murder and human rights abuses carried out <laughs> by a state? So, yeah, I mean, I think the fit and proper person's test you know, it's primarily designed to, you know, to what we used to have, where you'd have an, an individual buy a club and um, is less uh, fit for purpose when you've got countries buying clubs through investment funds and holding companies and smoke and mirrors. If you look back at uh, when this deal was first um, first talked about, the Premier League turned it down, and they turned it down for a couple of reasons. Um, the first was that uh, there was piracy of um, Premier League rights in Saudi Arabia, and obviously the, prim the Premier League is, is very, very worried or concerned about getting its money. And the owners, or the Saudi uh, government, who own the investment fund who have bought Newcastle um, refused to take the fit and proper person's test, the director's test. And there's a good reason for that. They would have failed um, for some of the reasons you've set out there. 
Um, what they've managed to do since then is you know, sort out the piracy issue by paying for the Premier League rights and convince the Premier League that the investment fund is separate from the Saudi government. But the Premier League haven't said how they've done that. And what we also know is that the investment fund is spending $120,000 a month with a New York lobbying firm in order to convince people that they are separate entities. Um, but we've got to bear in mind that uh, all but one of the members of the board of the investment fund are members of the Saudi government. The head of the fund is the head of the Saudi government. And the only non-government member of that board is the person that they've appointed as um, chairman of Newcastle. So, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't believe for a minute that Mohammed bin Salman is going to be involved in day-to-day running of Newcastle. I don't believe for a second that he cares whether John Joe Selvey is going to be coming on as a substitute or, um, you know, or, or, or whether Steve Bruce is manager. But he he is... I don't think that is what that test is. I think that test should be around whether they're, you know, they're, they're fit and proper people. And, um, you know, if they're heads of governments where, you know, there's unfair trial, where... Um, you know, there's ritual torture of um, political opponents, uh, there's human rights abuses, uh, where you've effectively got slave labour of uh, immigrant workforces where uh, their employers control control them. I don't think it is a, a fit and proper test if if you can pass and um, and do those things. Yeah, Ricky, before I bring you in, I, I, I do want to make clear, <clears throat> I think we all agree with this, you know, this is not we're not directing anything specifically at Newcastle United supporters. I mean, we completely understand that they would be delighted to be shed of, of Mike Ashley, who has run their run the club into the ground and done nothing for them. And and you know, I, I, we completely understand yep. that. Yes, of course, if they see a rich benefactor, they're going to be delighted because they are going to think that Kylian Mbappe is coming to to Tyneside, and they've seen Man City enjoy these riches and Chelsea and so on. And you know, if we're talking morality, you know, the Guardian did write something in twenty. 2019, they said, in reality, the UK was the sixth biggest arms dealer in the world in 2017 and the second largest exporter of arms to Saudi Arabia. You know, and Britain's also sold uh, arms to other countries with dubious human rights records, including Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Venezuela and China. So, the, you know, it's, it's, it's really about the concept of sport washing, I think, is what we're trying to drill down to here. I was going to say, Steph, I, I'd be against the British government taking over a Premier League club as well. Right, exactly. And I mean, that is the crux of the point. It, it is This is specifically about sport washing. Uh, and, and so, again, it's not a personal comment on Newcastle United. It's a comment on how the Premier League can get away with a fit and proper test that doesn't actually test anything when you can simply move an obvious chess piece to the right that everyone saw the move was coming and nothing was done about it. Uh, that being said... Uh, Ricky, the question I wanted to ask you, you get the you get the fun question here. Would you be willing to turn a blind eye to the dubious morals of owners in order to have success? Well, this this is the very very big question, isn't it? And um I mean as a Tottenham fan point of view, I would what would I attend games? Would I do that, do you think? I'm not sure if I would. Um I mean, looking from a Newcastle's fan point of view, I mean, I don't know if you saw on Sky Sports News and things, they have the cameras at St. James's Park and they're there with their shake faces on and their tea towels on their head and all that kind of thing. I mean, I admit that's like, they look like they're from the kind of Geordie Junior side of the fan base. So they probably don't know what Sovereign Wealth Fund is or, you know, sports washing is. They probably think sports washing is their mum washing the kit on a Sunday for the team, probably. (laughs) 
Yeah, so they see someone that turns up with a big bag of money, really rich people. Mike Ashley spent nothing on us. These people are going to, you know, they're going to they're going to make our club great again. And do I blame youngsters because they don't know? You know, they they don't know the ins and outs of things. I don't think I do. But I mean, an older person, a bit wiser, a bit more up with current affairs, and reads a bit more about stuff. I think you you know you're going to have you're going to have morals, and you're going to have lines you draw. And being a Tottenham fan, I wouldn't want them owning our club at all. And I think many of our fans have said, regardless of if they don't like our current ownership, have said that they would still easily have our current ownership above having Piff in charge of us or whoever's in charge of us. Um, would I go to games? I don't think I would, to be honest. I think my, my, as I've said before, my relationship between the club and this includes the owners. And you could say, well, the owners come and go, but, um, is important. And, and also, I suppose it still goes back to the other thing as well about, um, being on cheap mode when it comes to the money. If you just, you know, if you just, if you can climb that ladder, or as my, my analogy is, be dropped off in the helicopter at the top of the mountain <laughs> with no effort, it's all about the journey. And if that cancels out the journey, then, I'm that interested in that. I can find a journey down at non-league soccer, to be honest, if I have to. And so, Gareth, I mean, I'm going to ask you, it's sort of an extension a little bit of what we're discussing. I mean, you know, is winning everything? And if it is, do you need a mega rich owner of that nature in order to compete? It's it's a really interesting question. So having a six-year-old son who's just starting to get into football now and just start to realise that he does support Tottenham Hotspur because he's because his dad does as well and then he looks at the league table and says well yeah I'm getting there Um, (laughs) then he looks at the league table and says well why don't we support Manchester City or why don't we support Liverpool because because they're winning the top of the league at the moment and it's it's really made me think back I mean I, I didn't choose to support Tottenham Hotspur because I knew I'd be happy to finish in a perhaps a mean average position of about sixth or seventh and not win an FA Cup in 31 years. Um, but I'm, I'm pleased I've chosen the team that I have done because, you know, as Ricky said, that analogy about um, getting on a helicopter to get to the top of Everest is absolutely true. I mean, when you when you play FIFA, once you've worked out how you score a goal and you get the cheat sheet, it's what? It's fun for about 10 minutes, but you probably don't turn it on and play it again the next day and the day after again, just because the fun totally dissipates from the whole exercise. So um, for me, I'm, I'm, there was a really good article in The Athletic this week that they did a survey mm. of Spurs fans and they asked a couple of questions and one of them was... Um, if Spurs are, oh, I'm paraphrasing this, if Spurs are successful, I'm not bothered. Do you agree or disagree? And 71% said that they disagreed with that, which I think is, you know, it's perhaps really refreshing. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it means nothing to me. I'd, I'd feel a little bit empty if that was, if that was the direction of travel that we were going in at, at Spurs. Could I just add about the athletic thing? It'd be interesting to know, was that just the um, athletic subscribers that could reply yeah. to that? Yeah, it was. Because, People that pay for subscriptions to The Athletic are probably not the same as people that listen to TalkSport and Sky Sports Newsreel. Not that I want to cast judgment on them. I mean, I could also just caveat what I just said as well. I mean, like our, like our absolutely delightful meeting up the other week when we went to Villa, if we were doing that every week and you had a real crowd of you that went and, I mean, that kind of tears at you as well because like some people say with families, they go with their families and it's the only time they meet up during the week and that. So that has to be taken into the balance as well, I think. It brings me to the final point that I'd like to put across. And I'm going to start with you, Milo. What would you do if Spurs were bought by an owner that crossed the lines that this Saudi Arabian consortium quite clearly do? Where is your red line? So my red line is that I wouldn't want... So when we're talking about countries particularly here, 
I wouldn't want the club to be owned by a country if it were to be bought by a country where our fans couldn't go and live their lives normally like they do now. So that would be my fit and proper person's test, or my fit and proper country's test. That said, I don't think countries should own football clubs. Yeah, I'm trying to. I, I mean, I'm trying to keep this tight, but I do have to ask you: what is the difference for you between uh, Newcastle and Manchester City in that regard, in regard of ownership? No, I think Man City's wrong as well. So you know, this isn't um, revisionism here, um, but we can only deal with the issue that's in front of us. And you know, realistically, this deal isn't going to get reversed. So you know, what I'd like to see is the Premier League clubs put in place rules to stop the next uh, buyout like this, not uh, reverse what's already happened, because I don't think that can be done. But also, I would like them to put in place rules uh, around financial fair play that they actually stick to and 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 hold up that um, stop unfair competition. Because if you stop unfair competition, then these clubs will be a lot less attractive to uh, people who want to want to buy them in order to launder their reputation. So, and I, I think that's what we'll, what we'll see happen because the Premier League um, is owned by the clubs. And I think it takes 14 clubs out of the 20 in order to change the rules. And I think um, there's going to be 14 clubs in the league who are going to want to change the rules, you know, including, you know, Manchester United, Liverpool, you know, they're, they're going to be concerned about this long term. And no doubt Chelsea and Man City probably don't want to be going toe to toe on a spending war with um, the Saudi government either. So I think probably what we'll see in reaction to this is is a tighter financial fair play within the Premier League in order to uh, to reduce the advantage that Newcastle have um, in the longer term. Um, and I, I, I would welcome that. I, mean, I think that's the kind of, that should have been done for better reasons a while ago. Um, but if that's the if that's the knock on effect to this, then then, then great. Gareth, your red line. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I feel very uncomfortable with a country taking ownership, effectively taking ownership of a club. Um, I think that it'll become slightly subjective, but there's got to be some sort of review and analysis, and perhaps even algorithm into um, into the conditions that that country or those owners have in play in, in their own domestic country. Great, Ricky. Um, I think also it's worth pointing out that um, I think the Premier League needs to have a long, hard look at themselves because they do have their own equality, diversity, inclusion standard, yeah. and they're just flying in the face of that on this one. Yeah. And I know that could, I know other clubs leaders. I don't know if Roman Abramovich would fail that now, as in if we had a proper, uh, a proper person's test. But also, I'd like, I'd like the Premier League to sort of um, offer up some examples of who would actually fail the fit and proper person test just so you know we've got like some clarity of you know who might actually fail this kind of test because it just seems like that anyone can twist and turn and pivot in a scotty parker fashion to kind of avoid this kind of thing it's just it's just it's so annoying from that point of view and of course we we maybe want to need an independent body to take this on but realistically the premier league are sort of independent in the sense that they represent the clubs and they're meant to look after the league they're the kind of guardians of the league and if they're failing then i'm not sure where it kind of ends up and every step towards this i mean that's i mean without being you know i mean that's some reason why i like tottenham because we from the days of when you know people in a leather men in a village or a town played against each other obviously football's gone on massively from that it's become a commercial thing as well and we, we and if and if a league who, a Premier League 
who's running and overseeing the clubs, we Tottenham would almost be a poster boy of the, the way they'd want a club to be. Mm. But be sustainable. You can earn money. You can develop your revenue streams. But they would, you know, it'd be nice if they would. And this is obviously just dreamland. But it'd be nice if they could say, look, any money you earn, you can spend on players and wages, but you can't spend any more. And then, you know, your profits would wax and wane depending how you know how well you did and that kind of thing. But it just, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a pipe dream now. Football's moved well beyond that. Um, but every step we have in this direction just kind of takes it down to another level where where it's, it's just not that palatable for me, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to close this section off by, first of all, agreeing with everything that Milo said with regards to, you know, uh, your owners should, uh, you know, if you, your owners should reflect a society that is open to everyone. I mean, that that's absolutely bang on. I 100%. completely agree with that. Uh, furthermore, you know, I'm going to go back to what I said about I, my very personal belief, and I don't know if any of you agree with me or not. And my personal belief is that, you know, enormous wealth cannot be gathered ethically. It's impossible. I don't believe mm-hmm. that happens. So I'm not going to sit here and, and crow on about the, you know, Joe Lewis and his billions being, you know, ethically. I'm sure that there's been some, something that's gone on that is distasteful there. I'm, it, it, it feels impossible. What I can almost certainly guarantee is that it hasn't involved, you know, ritualistic abuse of, of, of uh, minorities, uh, women. Uh, or the uh, or the murder of journalists. I'm sure that that has not happened. And I think actually my red line is us. I think we're at that point. You know, we do have a multi, uh, we do have an extremely rich owner. But as you said, Ricky, he operates or we operate within a certain boundary. And I'm extremely proud of that. Is it frustrating sometimes? Absolutely, it's frustrating. But I am proud of it. And it actually, once again, I have to go back and mention why I believe the Pochettino era was an absolute well it looks like it'll be an anomaly now it may never happen again because you know we we came within 90 minutes of winning the biggest prize in club football doing things within a budget which is virtually unheard of in modern football so I think we're at the red line for me Um, but one thing is for sure if this takeover had happened to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club another few lights on my support would have died because I am not prepared to give regimes like that money and I'm not prepared to join in their, you know, attempts to uh, sport wash their, their, their reputations, regardless of the hypocrisy that might be involved in that statement or not. We talk about red lines. That's mine. It feels like we're all on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, okay. yeah. so, you know, at some point I feel that this conversation uh, can be explored into in far greater depth. This is not that moment. Um, I think we've addressed it fairly well for now. So uh, uh, thanks for that. We will go on to briefly looking into the week that is coming. And on Thursday night, uh, we visit SBV Vitesse for our third uh, Europa Conference game, uh, or as we like to call it, the Proletariat Champions League. We are currently top of our group on goal difference. Uh, Vitesse currently sit eighth in the Eredivisie after eight games. I can't remember the game that this happened. Excuse me, I'm taking this off the fly. I do know that there was uh, a tragedy actually involving Vitesse fans uh, at an away derby this weekend where the lower half of a stand in which their supporters were celebrating the victory collapsed. So uh, uh, our best wishes go to the Vitesse supporters and we hope that uh, we hope that nobody was seriously hurt. Um, that's mm. certainly not anything that you want to, that, that anyone should have to suffer going to a football match. Let's just very quickly, are we confident about this game? Vitesse, I mean, eighth or whatever, they're no mugs. 
Um, I'm not confident because I, I know what an absolute dog of a game it all invariably is when we play any away European, particularly UEFA um, tie. I think a draw in the context of the group is probably good. Um, I'm really struggling to work, to work out whether we will stick with a strong team or whether it will be literally 10 changes ahead of what is undoubtedly a more significant game at West Ham next weekend. So I think a, I think a draw is a good result for us out there. I'm going to stupidly look beyond this game and just say that I think this is all going to boil down to the Wren game and mm. the last game, basically. It'll be a winner takes all, probably with Wren having to win because we'll just have a better goal difference, I think. So Vitesse beat Mura 2-0 in Slovenia in their opening game before losing 2-1 to Wren at home. You know, if we take Wren as their benchmark there, I mean, Wren are a decent side, aren't they? That's quite a close score. Um, so I don't think I don't think they're going to be pushed over, and uh, their finish, their fourth place finish in um, uh, in the league last season, that was them finishing above Feyenoord, who are a decent side. So you know, they're, they're I don't think they're going to be I don't think they're going to be a, a gimme. Yeah, no gimme indeed. And uh, then we move on to Cup Final Day in East London as we travel to this Stratford Retail Park to take on West Ham, who are owned. Things we're talking about owners by a couple of old pawn barons. Just want to make sure that everyone is fully aware of that. <laughs> Surely we won't lose this game. Even though they beat Everton 1-0 at Goodison Park this afternoon uh, and are at home against Genk in the Europa League on Thursday. Bigger European competition than us. Our form in the league has been pretty similar this year, even though the narratives about each team are remarkably different when it comes to media coverage. Uh, let's just throw this on the table. Yes or no? Milo. Throw Yes or no what? Yes or no, are we going to do them? Um, <laughs> going to do them, mate. Are we going to do them? Come on in. Let's have it. Are we, I mean, on the pitch, mate. Are we going to do them? I think this is a really tough game. I think that uh, Moyes has done an excellent job at, at West Ham. Last season, he out Mourinho, Mourinho, didn't he, in um, in our games against them. I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to put out an unchanged side again because the team's settling and playing well. Um, and if we can do that, and um, if Kane and Son and Dembele continue their good form, then... I think we've got a good chance. I think, you know, as a... Uh, it's a cagey analysis here. Well, I'm always going to do that, Steph. Um, <laughs> I, 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 th- I, think we're, I think we're a better team than them, but, uh, yeah, I think we're a better team than them that's been underperforming. Uh, our key players are hitting form at the right moment. If they can continue that, then I think we can beat them. Gareth? Mm. Uh, I think they may get a little bit overexcited with their Europa League game on Thursday and that may well be where their priority is. I think they've struggled. I think they've lost both games following a European game this season. So I think, yeah, they are. So I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, so I think that's probably, that, that could work in our favour. They're always very tight games. I think mm. even when, when West Ham have been properly dog shite we've they've still given us a good game and i think it'll be there'll be it'll be very very thin margins between the two sides next week i think it could go either way ricardo <laughs> i'm going to this one i think i'm going to be trundling along to the olympic stadium um um i wasn't sure whether to go but i think you've got to go to the olympic stadium once haven't you <laughs> i know i'm probably giving up my perfect view of the game and being a bit short-sighted I better remember my glasses because <laughs> you know that might be a bit the old distance is a bit far and hopefully afterwards it won't be hopefully the um the whole experience of going won't be short-sighted either but um I don't know uh they do it's, it's quite hard to say with West Ham oh. we've had some real ding-dong games with them oh, so dearie me. um and Val- Valencia would be a good test for um our two boys at the back there, see if Romario can, you know, get stuck into him or vice versa. So I hope we win. So I get a nice kind of 
smile on the way home. I hope we win. What a chase! What a collection of analysts you are. Let me just blow through, blow the cobwebs off all of them. I was just going to say, I think it's it's ironic, isn't it? Given what Golden Sullivan's uh, business is, is that they've uh, moved the club into a stadium that is uh, unkind to the uh, short sighted. Short sighted. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I'm just gonna. Well, I'm just gonna swagger in and tell all of you. Special <laughs> focus. Uh, well, no, I actually do think we're going to continue our resurgence. I think that Harry's finding form. I think that front four is really clicking. Uh, I think we're going to win. Um, I don't say it won't be without a little wobble, but I think it will be fairly comfortable in the end. I think we're a much better side than people think. I don't think they're as good as people think they are. Very good first 11, but that's about it. Don't think they have much strength in depth. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to run out winning this uh, by a couple of goals, actually. That's uh, that's my marker. And I think you're going to see Harry and Sonny on the score sheet. So there we go. A result in this and against Man, Man United at the end of the month. And it looks like a very good month. And it, it would be in a, a really strong position in the league, wouldn't we? Well, it would really set us up yeah. for something. And I believe we are quietly gathering some 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 steam. So full belief from me. Yeah. Full belief. I think you'll be leaving... Uh, the, the Stratford Retail Park with a smile, Ricky. So uh, thank you very much, lads. Been a good one. Cheers, Steph. Nice one, Steph. Very good. Thank you, Steph. Uh, if you like the pod... Hold up. It's Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start that again. If you like the pod and have a spare two minutes, we really appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you are listening on your phone, you can do it now. What are you waiting for, it says here, and I endorse that. What are you waiting for? Tell the world how good we are. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, so give us a follow and say hello. And with that, we will see you next weekend. Bye-bye.